Today's show is brought to you by SoFi. It's 2017. Shouldn't buying a home be easier? Now with SoFi Mortgages, it is. Get your dream home for as little as 10% down with no hidden fees. Learn more at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply. Visit SoFi.com legal for more information. Loans are originated by SoFi Lending Corp and not available in all states. NMLS 1121636. This show is supported by Willis Towers Watson. They decode cybersecurity by looking at risks across your company's people, capital, and technology. Willis Towers Watson assesses your vulnerabilities, protecting you with the best-in-class solutions and helping you recover quickly from future attacks. Details at willistowerswatson.com recode. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, coming to you from the Vox Media Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, Executive Editor of Recode. You may know me as Gavin Belson's spiritual advisor, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about tech and media's key players, big ideas, and how they're changing the world we live in. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode anywhere you listen to your podcasts. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and more or just visit recode.net slash podcasts for more. This week, we have two great interviews with the cast and creators of HBO's Silicon Valley, which just started its fourth season, and I think it's best. On Wednesday, we'll be posting a live interview I did with the executive producers and most of the actors, including Mike Judge, Thomas Middlejitch, and Kumail Nanjiani. But today, I'm thrilled to have Matt Ross in the red chair. He's an actor and director best known for playing Hooli CEO Gavin Belson on Silicon Valley, Last year, he also directed a movie called Captain Fantastic, starring Viggo Mortensen, and that movie was nominated for a Golden Globe and an Oscar. Matt, welcome to Recode Decode. Thanks for having me. Wow. Yeah, I, you know, we, we haven't really struck up a nice, uh, I've been, I've acted with you. I didn't yes. win the Emmy. Yes. But as I should have, it was you denied should, me, yes. clearly. Yeah. But I want to talk about you because one of the things that I think we're going to talk about the show and all kinds of things is coming up for its fourth season. And you've created a memorable role as a person I really dislike. And I have covered people like you, and I find it fascinating that you really nailed it so well. But I want to talk about you first because you have a, a very varied career. People think of you, obviously, as an actor, and you've mm-hmm. been in lots of stuff. And you mm-hmm. were also on all kinds of great series, uh, Big, Big Love, Love and, yeah. and stuff. like You were fantastic in that. Thanks. But you also – I want to talk about your background, how you got to where you got. Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about your acting and directing to in mm-hmm. writing because mm-hmm. you're sort of the whole package when you think about that. So tell me, let's hear about your background. Well, I was raised by a single mother. I grew up in Oregon and I lived in England for a while as mm-hmm. well. My mother wanted to start uh, a Waldorf school. Oh, wow. People don't know. They may know, but uh, Rudolf Steiner was an Austrian theologian and educator. Uh, we, you find uh, Waldorf schools or Steiner schools in this country, they tend to be yeah they tend to be in I would say wealthy progressive neighborhoods yep. like in Cambridge, Massachusetts or places like that. Although there's one in the East Bay, and, there's one in the Mission. And, and, yeah, and I'm sure they're in Los Angeles, New York, or all over. I went to one in England, and it certainly wasn't that demographic. It was mm-hmm. rural. Um, my mom wanted to start a university in this country, and wow. I'm sorry, not a university, a, a school, but the only university was at the time I believe there was one in either Sweden or Germany, and the other one was in England, and I think that. Her marriage had just dissolved, and you know she was raising two kids. And I think she thought it would be—I'd have to ask her—but I believe she thought it was just too overwhelming. It would be too overwhelming for us to have to learn another language, and so she took. Not a state. Swedish. It's—it's—it's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's unfortunate. I would have liked to see Swedish. It's, it's unfortunate because obviously at that age you're you learn really quickly. And but anyway, we were thrown into. Um, we lived in rural England in Sussex for a couple of years, and. Um, I went to Waldorf Steiner School, and then she came back to um, to the U.S. and uh, started a Rudolf Steiner School and uh, in Oregon, and that's where I, w- I was raised. And All I right. got into theater. That was the beginning of this journey. I, I, well, this is true for everyone globally, but I mean, I think the first probably religious experience I had were in the movie theater uh-huh. when I was a kid. What but, movie? Star Wars for me. Yeah, it may have been Star Wars. I mean, I lived in England, actually, when Star Wars came out, but I think... It was earlier than that. I think the first time I saw something that, what you know what it was? It was I think it was called um, with Sean Connery, and I think it was called Line in the Winter. Mm-hmm. Line with, in Winter. Yeah. And there was a little blonde boy, and I had really blonde hair when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And I remember, and it was in, in the desert, and there was sword fighting, and it was an adventure. And I think I remember having kind of a fantasy experience where I thought, oh, I'd love to be there and do that. And sure. Then when I saw theater, I I grew up in Oregon, and there was a Shakespeare festival. 
near where we lived. And sure, it's I saw, famous. Yeah, the the Oregon Shakespeare Festival, and um, we ended up living really far into the, in the woods, outside of a place called Eagle Point, which is a tiny town. But I saw Richard the mm Third, -hmm. and I remember having kind of a transformative experience. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what I understood, mm -hmm. but there was this character who was a murderer and yet you wanted him to succeed. Right. It, it kind of blew my little mind. And I probably was around 12, mm -hmm. you know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe 11, 11, 12, 13, somewhere in there. And there was also sword fighting. And right. I thought that was the so coolest So sword thing fighting ever. is key. It is key. <laughs> For every young boy, sword mm -hmm. fighting is key. Oh, and, I know and, that. And yes, I'm sure, as the, as the mother of two boys. Two boys. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and then I got, I got involved with the Shakespeare plays. Uh, Shakespeare was my introduction, I guess, to storytelling and dramatic poetry. And I, I think looking back on it, as I'm see, and especially seeing, reflecting, with my own children and seeing when they read Shakespeare or something like that, how how they're afraid of it or that they are. I, my son is too. I was not taught to be afraid of it, mm -hmm. and I, and and there was no one was telling me this is complex. I first related to it on an emotional basis, I would say, but I because I I we I did Shakespeare plays as a uh, when I was really young. I did Hamlet when I was thirteen. I didn't play Hamlet, but I was in the play. What were you playing? Uh, we I did. I was in an all kids production. So, oh wow, that's so a I, bummer. So, <laughs> <laughs> people tell me it was good. Um, uh, I have no idea. Uh, so what Hamlet I, by toddlers. Yeah, exactly. It was. It really was. Uh, but the guy who played Hamlet was couldn't have been more than thirteen, and in my memory of him was that he was really good. Wow. And I think he actually was. Uh, so what happened was I loved theater storytelling. I also at the time was making short films. Oh, wow, early well, on. Yeah. So I wanted to do something. I didn't know what. Uh, right. But expression through yeah, acting or yes. storytelling. And I was a shy, quiet kid. Um, I think, I mean, we don't need to, I mean, people say, or it is said that all artists come from broken Fam mm -hmm. families or homes in some way and, and certainly mine was a decidedly middle class one there was no abuse or anything but I think uh, we moved a lot my the my parents separating and divorce was probably you know, it's traumatic called, it's called ACEs I don't know if you know that adverse no. childhood experiences yeah, it yeah. forms so people I'm sure there was some I was trying to channel some of this chaos and you mm -hmm. know minor trauma because it really is not it's pretty minor all things considered um, and I was fascinated. I mean, maybe partly it was just fantasy and role playing and right. wanting to, to. So you were doing Shakespeare at a young age. Yeah. And I wasn't in writing the school. It. In yeah. the school. No, so I was doing it in a Shakespeare festival. So what happened right. was uh, there was a man named Paul Barnes who was in the education department mm -hmm. and he wanted to be a director. So he, the year before. Uh, there were they had some sons and daughters of some actors and directors at the festival mm -hmm. had got together and put on a Shakespeare play uh -huh. and on a Monday night it's dark so they used the actual stage right. and I think they wanted to do it again and he said well I'm interested in directing so would you guys like me to direct it I think that's what happened I joined the second year and they did Hamlet and I played you know Bernardo who's one of the soldiers in the beginning mm -hmm. I played the player king and uh, and one of the grave diggers or mm -hmm. we made both grave diggers into one so I was I was nose picker number one nose picker number two uh -huh. nose picker number three um, that was my beginning uh, introduction to Shakespeare. And then he continued to direct kids. And it evolved into um, a program where, because he was working through the education department at the festival, he would bring, he would do kind of workshops for students. Mm -hmm. And he would bring some actors that wanted to be involved. And sh and, and we would do scenes. Wow, and so you were trained them. early, yeah. super early. What, how, and we were also doing sword fighting. We were doing sword fighting demonstrations because mm -hmm. we were really into that as I became a high school. And then I got into the actual festival uh, with a couple of my friends. And we were all, there was like four or five of us. And... Every year they needed townies, to, to kids to like in Midsummer Night's Dream. You have yeah, uh, you have little kids running around as fairies, or mm -hmm. in, in Richard the Third you have you 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 need ten soldiers, fifteen soldiers for the battle scenes or any of the history plays. When we became young men, we were in high school. We were just we were just cannon fodder. We were just <laughs> we, they simply needed people to sword fight in the background, right. which was great. And sometimes we'd have we play pages in Romeo and Juliet or Henry the Fifth. Deliver a message. Yeah, exactly. Say you know exactly. Uh, I think I, forsooth. Here is the message. I, I remember. I, we had some. My, my friend Rex and I were priests at one point. I think he was stoned most of the time, and uh, we would we would crack each other up uh, uh, and and hide in our in our priest. Um, 
cloaks. Yeah. And I, my, I think my line was, um, yes, my lord, but you must wait till you be called for. That was my one line. Wow, uh, yeah. well done. Yeah, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. It's still yeah, it's, riveting. It's, it's, I just, yeah, it's I know, chilling it's right now. Right. Yeah. Um, so while I was doing that, I was, um, you know, like most or many American teenagers that were in awe and loving Star Wars and all those other films, I was making my own versions of those. And I think I, think I was very pulled between... I used to fantasize about being my brother and my cousin, and I wanted to be... Um, uh, we wanted to work in special effects. Like mm-hmm. we, we just loved the mechanics of it and mm-hmm. the and uh, the artistry of it, and we fantasized about that. And that was the beginning of computer animation. And so we would we would make our own films. I made my own films, and and you know my. What would I, you do with special effects then? Because well, I'm we, trying to think. This is what you would actually make them in camera mm-hmm. a lot of the time. And we would also like you know we we did. Um, I remember doing. Uh, we build models, and then the lasers. I would actually take a needle. Mm-hmm. And draw on the film. Oh my god! We were actually shooting on Super 8 film, and then we then we start working in video because that was like the the transition between video is coming in. And at the time, I think my grandfather gave me a Super 8 camera. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He had one, and he gave me one, and uh, I taught myself to edit. And um, I was really into claymation. I would do stop, oh my stop god. motion animation. And um, yeah, and so I I think if I had lived in a city mm-hmm. where you kids, would have had editing and computer yeah, and I, yes and I think I would have also had access to film classes and a trajectory to be a filmmaker mm-hmm. uh, I think I was very insecure about that because I didn't know what the I didn't know I didn't know how to create a trajectory for that whereas in theater and one of the reasons why I started getting to acting early on was because I saw the path I met I was around sure. adult actors yeah. I, they you said well you need training live. you go to you know you go yeah. to drama school or whatever yeah. I, exactly I had a, I had a path and I ended up going to Juilliard and studying theater. Right. And then afterwards, I it's went... It's a small to, school that I've heard of. Yes. Yes. And then I went to NYU for a second. Um, I took some film classes So you went, you went the, sort of the Harvard and Yale of the... Of the yeah. Essentially, yeah. of the... Well, Yale is actually a very good school of yeah. drama, too. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, at the time, and I, these things change as no, the teachers go in and yeah. out. But uh, Juilliard, NYU, and, and Yale were considered the top drama schools. Right. There may be others. Uh, that are as good and what was your hope to, to get bigger role, bigger and bigger roles? Not, not to I remain wanted to take the art page seriously. number. No, no. I think for me it was it was that the many of the actors I admired were theater trained, mm-hmm. and I, I always think of someone like Meryl Streep. Right. Really, she was like the you know arguably our greatest actress actor, and I I just thought if you're going to do something, you really should study it and take right. it seriously. And I also I think probably at, at that age was fearful of moving i didn't know what it would mean to just move to new york or la and and how would you get in i just didn't see a path i didn't see a path sure but television and movies were not part of no they they, certainly they were absolutely Mm -hmm. they were i mean i love uh yeah they were absolutely part of my desire and hope Mm -hmm. but i didn't know i just it, it i i think the truth is not just that i was fearful of just moving there i didn't know what i would do but I also thought I need to study this if I'm gonna if I'm gonna really do this. So I wanted to study and mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I I think when I was there I, I realized that I had a lot of experience already mm-hmm. and sure. I had a pretty formed idea of what it was to be an actor and that you you know in any in any environment whether it's academic or or more conservatory training you're reflecting on the teachers and, and your classmates anyway and. You're 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 gonna have to learn your own process and your own path, and you either say, "Oh, that's," you're given an opportunity to say, "This is a tool that I can use," or I'm gonna reject that tool. Right. And I I was realizing pretty early on that I thought I already had a pretty developed sense of of my own process. Right. And because uh, you had done it from so long. But you're pushed. Right. I mean, I think one of the greatest things about any drama school is that at a very young age you're dealing with very complicated texts. Mm-hmm. So we're doing Shaw and Shakespeare and Chekhov and Restoration Comedy, which is mm-hmm. rough, oh, yeah, it is. rough stuff. Rough and, stuff. <laughs> and, and Shaw is difficult too. And, and all these things are very difficult. And you're at a very young age playing roles that you would never play in, in the real world. So, you know, you're 18 or 22 or 21 or whatever, and you're playing Richard III. You would mm-hmm. never be cast as that, you know. Sure. And, and so you're pushed and pulled and I think that's good. And, and it's an environment where you fail. Well, you know, and, you know, later I want to get into how it's changed with, 
the web and stuff because people are going through training in very different ways now in, in terms of how people like you mean online courses yeah, and, yeah. not just that not just uh, online courses but actually going online and doing their own sure. things which is it we'll talk about that later yeah. but so you were in new york yeah what was your first big break theater or film either one i think the first thing that happened that was a good job for me was i was cast in a play at lincoln center that mm -hmm. was good and then Early on, it didn't change my life, but I was very happy to be cast in 12 Monkeys, this mm -hmm. Terry Gilliam film, sure. and, uh, just because I admire him, and mm -hmm. I think I wanted to be him when I was young, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, I loved being in that environment and watching him work. Breaks have been incremental, you know? Right. I never... Yeah. Well, you're a character actor, like, yeah. I know him. Yes, but there are people that, they're part of my peer group, people who maybe started before me, who I saw break through. Like, you know, um, everyone has their own path, but sometimes people do break through. And, mm -hmm. and obviously someone like uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman, you mm -hmm. know, Phil was a, his character actor, was a character sure. actor. And, he, you know, it, the combination of, I think it was Boogie Nights and Happiness. Right. Those films were shot at different times. They came out at the same time. And I think people were like, oh who my God, who is this guy? Right. And he was a journeyman actor until that point, And yeah. then it, that, it changed. And I didn't, I never had that kind of break. Um, I had I've had consistent work and been happy for it. So, When you think about that, it, the, sort of the journey of the actor, of where mm. you go, you also were creating along the way. Yeah. Which I think is, not everybody does that. I had a, Juilliard was tumultuous for me because I, w I had, on one hand, I was treated very well. I didn't want to drop out because, and everyone has their own journey there, but mine was lead role, tiny part, lead role, tiny part, lead role for four years. Mm -hmm. So every time I was playing a lead role, I was obviously very happy and very challenged. And then when I was playing a tiny role, nah. I thought it's, it's, I should, it's my turn right. to step back and let someone else. So I, I was very well treated. Mm -hmm. While I was there, I was also, uh, I think having some, real questions about what I wanted to do with my life and mm -hmm. whether I wanted to be an actor. Right. I enjoyed it. I found it very challenging emotionally and intellectually. The problem-solving part of it I loved. I'm not a performer, though. Mm -hmm. I'm just not. Huh. I, I'm not a performer. It's so funny and, people and, would think you are. And some, I think, there are many kinds of actors just like there are many kinds of everything. And some people are in, inherently performers and some people are not. And I'm, I don't need to be recognized. I don't need to be flattered in that way. I don't need that attention. I don't need to be the center of attention. When I was very young, and I've, and I've thought about this certainly, I think one of the reasons why I fell into acting was because I was insecure and an unhappy child. And I think that it was one of the first things I did where there was some uh, positive reinforcement. People actually, adults came up to me and said, you know, I don't know if you want to do this, mm -hmm, but, but you, you could do this. Yeah, yeah. And that was happening to me when I was 13, and I, I didn't play sports. I, I mean, I played football, but I wasn't good at it. And there was no, no, no other direction that was coming. I got a little of that academically. I was decent in school, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to go into academia necessarily. Well, you saw so. a path. I saw a path, and, right. and I enjoyed it. I actually right. enjoyed it, and it felt it, like it, we, we, I think when you're young, you're looking for ways to define yourself. And people sure. do that through music or clothes or whatever. Right. But I was looking like, what am I? Who it's am interesting because a lot of your roles are very noticeable. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm thinking of Big Love. How, t talk about how you got, I'm going to fast forward a little bit, yeah. how you got to both Big Love and then Silicon Valley. Before I answer that, let me go back and kind of correct sure. it. Yes, absolutely. What I was going to say is that I think I was, though I was treated very well at Juilliard, that was the beginning. And I wrote, I started writing in high school mm -hmm. fiction. And then... I started writing screenplays and stories while I was at Juilliard, and then that's when I really thought, what do I want to do? And the first money I made when I graduated, not from theater, because you make an insignificant amount of money, but when I made, uh, I did some TV things, and I took all that money and I started making short films. Uh -huh. So I was doing them at the same time. Now, ask me a question. So, so you want to create at the same because a lot of actors don't. Because I think you, yeah. that's the only way you get power, like power to do what you want to do, is if you also create at the same time. I think that's true. Yeah. I think that, or you become very successful, and then you are part of the core filmmaking team. Sure, absolutely. You know, these things are funded because of you, like Clooney, like sure. Clooney. Yeah, absolutely. Any of those people. Yeah. So, a lot of your roles, though, have been showy roles. They really are. They're no mm. highly. No, I mean. Big love. That was quite a role. I mean, yeah, talk I about would, how you got to each of those. Because those, I think, sure. if you want to talk about breakthroughs, I think that's well, where you got So, uh, yeah, there, there was a little bit. So I worked in, I lived in New York from the time I graduated until 2001. Mm -hmm. In fact, my wife and I, we had just got married and 9-11 happened. Mm -hmm. And we had planned on leaving in September, going to L.A. Now, we're both from the West Coast. 
and I don't know that we thought it was going to be permanent, but we lived in New York for a long time, and we just thought, let's, you know, when we look back, yeah. when we're in our 90s, we want to say we lived here for a little bit, we lived yeah, here for a little bit, right, we, sure. we wanted to have a varied experience. So we moved to L.A., and it was the worst year or so of my life. I, I had been in New York long enough that in terms of acting work... You got work. I got work. I did, uh, I don't know, a, a play a year... Sometimes I, one year I did seven movies. That's mm-hmm. a lot. Usually it was more like a couple films, enough to make a, a living, some TV stuff. And uh, I moved to Los Angeles and no one knew me. And it was traumatic. Uh, the thing that got me out of that was I was I got the job in playing Glenn Odekirk in The Aviator, mm-hmm. which is the Martin Scorsese film. And that yeah. was a huge a seismic shift for me, uh, not, not just emotionally but also in terms of the business because – you know, it opened up certain opportunities. The main opportunity it opened up for me was was ended up being Big Love. I think they saw that film and said, "Hey, this guy's good." And mm-hmm. um, you know, the, in in the pilot, the part of Albie is tiny. I yeah. think I have one line. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm essentially following around Harry Dean Stanton. I think I have three lines or something. Right. Like that. You you don't really have to. That doesn't matter because the pilot is essentially the first. The, the the hour pilot of what's going to end up being a 72-hour movie mm-hmm. is really the first three minutes of a movie, right? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't mm-hmm. matter what size role you sure. have. You talk to the showrunners. The, the guys told me about how, how they envisioned the role and what they thought his trajectory might be. And um, I was happy for it. It's, you know, it's, it's something that's happened that we all watch. Um, we've all, we all observe this with television is... Um, the long form narrative is, as I think, in some ways, fulfilled the promise of seventies uh, filmmaking. Yeah, you know, and, and, absolutely. And, uh, I was really excited about it. I'd seen that happen already with other shows, like Six Feet Under was great. Sure. Um, around that time, and I was excited for that possibility. And if that, if Big Love had been a film, Albie would have been played by Daniel Craig or something, uh-huh, or, or uh-huh. whomever. I never yeah. would have got that part. Right. Um, right. It, it wouldn't have. No, been it's me. given opportunities for all kinds yeah. of actors yeah. that you wouldn't, you know, yeah. in, unusual and interesting actors. Yeah. I didn't know what the part was going to be. I mean, at the time, actually, I didn't – it was not clear. One of the, the great things about Albie was how, mm-hmm. how complicated character he is. Sure. I didn't know he was homosexual mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't know that until the second year. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's something that's fascinating about, about television is that it's an evolving narrative. It really right. is. When you read a screenplay of a film – Yeah, you don't know what's going to happen. You, you know the whole thing. If it's a film, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you see the whole trajectory. Mm-hmm. But this is – you know, they might tell you. I don't know that they even knew that. Or that maybe right. they did, but they didn't tell me. But um, I think that made him a great – Really yeah. complicated. A surprise. Character. It, well, yeah. he was a surprise character. Yeah, really. So we're going to talk in, when we get back about how you got to Silicon Valley and mm-hmm. how you feel about that role mm-hmm. because I felt Bill Glove. I remember actually, just like you said, I was like, who is that guy mm-hmm. of all the people on the screen? You know, everyone, Harry Dean Stanton's well known and, and stuff yeah. like that, but I was like, who is that guy? Like um, you had a lot of menace, actually. <laughs> you know what I mean? Menace is what I was thinking. And pain. Uh, pain. Pain and menace. Yeah. All right, when we get back, we are talking to Matt Ross, who is one of the stars of the hit HBO series. Uh, Silicon Valley, but a whole lot more. He's also a writer and director. This podcast is brought to you by SoFi. In the 21st century, so many things have gotten simpler. Keeping in touch with college friends, following world events, ordering that rare bobblehead for your desk. But for all the things that are easier to do these days, buying a home isn't one of them. Enter SoFi, a new kind of finance company that's innovating the home buying process by making mortgages easier. With as little as 10% down and no borrower paid private mortgage insurance, SoFi can help you buy more home for less money out of pocket. And you're underwritten at the pre-approval stage, meaning you can compete with buyers who are paying all cash. Find your low rates in just two minutes at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply. Visit SoFi.com legal for more information. Loans originated by SoFi Lending Corp. and are not available in all states. NMLS 1121636. We're here with Matt Ross, one of the stars of HBO's hit comedy, Silicon Valley. Uh, he plays Gavin Belson. Um, we're, gonna, we're, we're talking a little bit about his early career. He was on a lot of shows. He, he learned uh, Shakespeare very early and then sort of broke out on the show Big Love. I think most people got to yeah. know him best through that, yeah. where he played Albie, who was a disturbing character, one of the more disturbing characters in that, of many disturbing characters yeah. on that show. It disturbed you. How did you get to Silicon Valley then? Uh, because, it, you know, people thought of you as a dramatic actor, really. 
acting is reinventing the wheel every sure. time. Yeah. And I hadn't thought of you as a comedy actor. But, uh, yeah, I, well, I hadn't either. Yeah. Though doing theater, you're you're. It's assumed that you can do everything. Right. You know, uh, mm-hmm. you're especially if you're a trained theater actor. Um, I had done comedy. I done. I played Touchstone and mm-hmm. As You Like It. Oh. It was a very difficult part. And I I didn't think of myself as a comedian. And certainly when I was introduced to this world. You know, all the guys, they're either improvisational comedians, stand-up comedians. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's a whole subculture uh, that I really, frankly, wasn't aware of uh, and am not part of. Yeah. When I say it was reinventing the wheel every time, it really is because Mike, to my knowledge didn't know me at all. I know. How did you get it? So it was It was just an audition. I mean, I just auditioned. You I mean, just was a walk, was go yeah, to this audition. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's exactly, um, I mean, I actually do it. Uh, so I didn't go, I'll take him. That's no, what I want. No, no. I mean, I, that happens a lot. But I, <laughs> I think both myself and I believe Christopher Evan Welch, mm-hmm. um, who played sort of, we were played foils in the, in, in, in the originally, um, uh, he also, I, he may have gone in and actually seen Mike in person. I, I, I sent in a tape. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he, they asked me to do it a variety of ways. And you, that was the role you were going for? You weren't going for Yeah, it. I think I read for his part, for um, the part that uh, Christopher originally mm-hmm. played. And um, and then they said, well, read for Gavin. And I did. And yeah, and then I got it. That was it, just and like that. that. What yeah. were you going for when you read for it? How did you prepare? This is a guy who, he, I think I, he's an odd combination of Larry Ellison, Eric Schmidt, I, I, you know, with all he, kinds of... I was not, I'm aware of that, mm-hmm. but I was not trying to imitate them. So right. I wasn't watching YouTube videos of their speeches and right. and trying to capture their man- mannerisms. I mean, apparently, um, Christopher Evan Welch said he was doing Carl Sagan. Oh. <laughs> um, that, that, that was his... Not Peter the, Thiel. No, no, not yeah. Peter Thiel, but he was doing... I didn't have, I mean, I think I was trying to understand the character from more an emotional point of view. And I think I was trying to portray him with humanity and mm-hmm. not make a caricature out of him. So an evil or, villain. Yeah, I was yeah. Playing, trying to play the opposite, play mm-hmm. the sincerity of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I didn't, only later when I got the part, sometime in the first year, did Mike actually even talk to me about what kind of character he thought he was or who he was wow. an amalgamation of. Mm-hmm. He never sat me down and said, so he's a little bit of Larry Ellison or he's trying to do this or we're thinking of this. They may have done that in terms of design elements or what I wear how or how my it, yeah. hair is or whatever. But we never had a, not once did we have a conversation about a certain tone or mannerisms. So where or, did you get your inspiration then? Because it nails it rather. I just made it up. <laughs> I know that, but like you, from anywhere? What I were you thinking? I, I, I don't know. I think, I think it's less external and mm-hmm. more internal. Okay. So I think that I wasn't thinking of, well, I'm going to, I'm going to use Larry, the way Larry Ellison gives speeches and his his mm-hmm. man, mannerisms or how he, you know, the, the certain way he gesticulates. I'm not going to, you know, I, I wasn't thinking of that or how they walk. I, I did think a little bit about how he walked, um, but I was thinking more just the, you can only respond based on what's written. Right. 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 So you give, you you are sort of giving me an undue amount of credit because okay. really I think the credit goes to the writers. Sure, absolutely. Uh, no, I get they, that. They, they create the template and I just flesh it out. And so I just try and do justice to what I'm given. Mm-hmm. And I contend that, you know, anyone could play the part. So I, I think a lot, anyone would bring something different. I was trying to make him not a caricature. I was aware of, if, if nothing else, I was aware of trying to play his humanity and his sincerity. Mm-hmm. And I thought there was humor in that. Right. And that's well, talk it. about the character. Who do you what what motivates him when you think about that? That you that he really believes he's saving yes. the world. Yes. How I, so? I think that. Well, I think it's power, probably mm-hmm. as well. I mean, you can't the people who are like him in the real world. I'm sure there is uh, a a great deal of their satisfaction probably comes from um, winning, mm-hmm. right? Uh, conquering, and being thought of as important in mm-hmm. some way. And I think that he, that Gavin, I'm sure, enjoys being the center of attention. Uh, I also think that he genuinely believes that he's making, as Alec Berg and Mike Judge say, making the world a better place. Mm-hmm. And I think there's... I think there's great comedy in the juxtaposition of that kind of capitalism that obviously his company is involved in, and at the same time, this so-called altruism, which probably right. is... Marginal at best, but you didn't want to make him a fatuous asshole. It's no, just, no, right? No. And, and he is, but, but he is, but, but he is, he yeah. is. Yeah, sure. Right. Um, I think it's it's not dissimilar. To any great villain 
should be a, any great antagonist should be a great protagonist as well, right? Right. right. So you, you think wanna, of Jane Lynch on Glee? Yeah, you you want to care for them, and I, I thought of Albie, frankly, the same way, yeah. which is that if he's a, a mustache twirling bad guy, then he's then he's a cardboard cutout, and you just hate him. But mm-hmm. if you actually hate him, but at the same time feel sad for him and feel mm-hmm. sorry for him and understand why he's broken and how he was abused, and particularly Albie, you know, with his father and mm-hmm. and and how he suffers, he's homosexual in a world where that is simply not allowed in right. any way. So he's got a secret self. Um, I don't think that's the case with uh, Gavin, but I still think the same, you still have to draw him with an equal amount of nuance mm-hmm. and, and complexity. And really, I'm only allowed to do that given the writing because sure. the template is set. So, you know, if you're if you're playing essentially the same scene over and over again, yeah, yeah. then you're only going to be able to sing those notes. That's right, exactly. So I have to be, you know, they have to expand what's possible. And actually, this season is the first season without giving anything away that I think that he breaks out of a little bit of a template. Well, he started now, to, really, with the firing and... Yeah, yes, exactly. And that happens, you see that happen. I mean, he's a secondary character. He's not part of the central five of the... Of the, of the, the group. Of the show, yeah, the group. Um, and that's the way that any of these television shows have longevity, right? If they're a movie... Gavin might have two scenes in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. But if it's if they have to generate seventy two hours, then you start with the central characters, and you after a while, starting in the third and fourth year, you start expanding, expanding, and you do that from the beginning anyway. I mean, they, Big Love had a huge cast, and you were yeah. you had the sec, the you know the first characters, the secondary characters, the tertiary characters, and you 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 constantly would go to them for antagonism or humor mm-hmm. and 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 so what role things. do you think you play because you have the guys like the i think i'm a force of antagonism and also and it's a comedy so there's also humor and i right. think they use they use uh Hooli and gavin uh, as an opportunity to examine uh tech you know mm-hmm. uh, tech innovations and uh, well the way we you know you mm-hmm. and i were in that scene with was, right. which was yeah, uh, riveting. <laughs> you were riveting. <laughs> um, I mean, that you know, they they they're taking real life events and certain mm-hmm. things that they think are worthy of parody or mm-hmm. or, or even not parody, just right. just reenactment. Do, and, you, do you think Silicon Valley? Yeah, it's been welcomed and embraced yeah. by Silicon Valley, even yeah. though and all the time I'm like, you know, they're making fun of you. Yeah. They're, they're, they really. I think they know, and they I think they just. I don't think so. Sometimes. Really? No, they think it's great love. It's with great love. I think it's quite. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't know. I, what kind of reaction do you get from? What's the most unusual um, reaction? And then I we're get, talking about where I Gavin's just, going. I just get love, yeah, unadorned love from I mean, tech people. I was, I was. You at, live here in, in yes, and you, I you was live, unusually. I, you don't live in Los Angeles. No, I live, I live in, in Berkeley. Berkeley. Yeah, yeah. I have an apartment mm-hmm. in Venice, but I and I'm in I'm in LA almost every week. Mm-hmm. But I live here because my wife's from here and she wanted to raise her kids here. I was at Pete's Coffee across mm-hmm. the street, mm-hmm. and I was recognized three times. Right. Uh, oh, sure. You're a dead center. <laughs> I get recognized in San Francisco, sure. my friend. I'm sure you're a rock star. <laughs> no. Yeah, with your sunglasses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the attention is always positive. Mm-hmm. I don't mind it. I mean, really, what I translate it immediately. The, the attention I get is simply mm-hmm. love for the show, and that's right. great. It's very different. My experience is very specific to this show. It's not... You know, you mentioned George Clooney. George Clooney goes everywhere. He gets attention for being George Clooney. I right. get attention for being Gavin Belson. for Gavin Belson on a show that they love. Right. And I know what that's about. What do they and, do? What what happened today? For uh, yes, I love you. Or no, you get. Are you are you Matt Ross? Mm-hmm. Or um, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're Gavin Belson on Silicon Valley. Yes. Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, I feel the same way. I think it's a great show. I love yeah. it. I'm I'm proud to be associated with it and happy to be on it. So. You know, frequently they just want to talk about the show. They want to talk about what they love about it, or mm-hmm. they want to tell me how much they love the character. And right. I don't mind. I mean, it's not. It's it's really not any kind of. Um, Have you met any of the people that, that think they're you're based on them? No, no, mm-hmm. none of them. No, none not of them. A, at not all. a one. Not a one. I mean, one. I've watched them. I've right. read some books. But right. I, um, right. No, I haven't. It's interesting because with billions right now, I, I know a lot of hedge fund guys, and they all think they're they're acts. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, no, you're the short guy, the short ass. <laughs> they all Paul like Giamatti. I'm acts. Yeah, I'm at, No, the other guy. Remember, there's a short hedge fund this oh, season. Oh, okay, yeah, there's a short, oh, yeah. awful man. Right, and, right. and I'm like, no, you're the short guy right. who's an asshole. Everyone wants to be Damien Lewis. Yeah, exactly. I'm the handsome, I'm tall English I'm guy. Ax. <laughs> I'm Max. Um, so, what do you think it's it's doing? What's evolving with Gavin? This? How do you? I don't know that I'm allowed to talk about it. Well, you don't well, talk too much. But what are, what are you hoping to get to? That he has humanity. He does. Yes. He's, there's well, been I think, very poignant. I think the, the sessions between him and... Um, Dan Puck? Yeah, um, yeah. Are great. Yeah. Those are obviously... Those are easy. But yeah. the ones where you're in the in the restaurant. Yeah, yeah. 
I love those. Yeah. I don't know why I love those. It's very Godfather or something. <laughs> I think, you know, he has played a, cent- a, a similar role in season after season, mm-hmm. uh, which is really just he is, as I said, this kind of antagonistic force towards um, Thomas Middleton's character so mm-hmm. that he can, Richard, so that, you know, it's creating just tension so that they have to, they have to, uh, pivot around him. Mm-hmm. I, you know, one of the things I love about the show, and this is not what you asked me, but mm-hmm. I think it's actually like an incredibly great workplace drama. Yeah, like which the I, Office. You know, or, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's it's it actually shows. We, you know, we we read in our popular culture about tech all the time, mm-hmm. and here we're sort of in the epicenter of that of, mm-hmm. and that analysis. But you can you can open USA Today when you're at the airport, and there's stuff about tech, right? right. And and yet they show, I, it seems to me, they show it pretty accurately how incredibly different difficult it is mm-hmm. to navigate the, right. that, that sea, right? Know? Right, absolutely. Which I which I love, aside from the comedy and the mm-hmm. dick jokes, which are fantastic. Um, <laughs> but it's actually it's good. actually really you know complex. The, the ups and downs of it are complex. Mm-hmm. I think Gavin is just part of that trajectory. I don't know. I mean, I've I've. I don't know if they know. They may know. They haven't told me where they're going because mm-hmm. you know when you're doing a show in success, you get five years, right? Maybe six, six or seven. Right. Yeah. You know, it, it shouldn't go beyond that. Yeah. Actually. I think the things you know. One of the reasons that you mentioned the Office. One of the reasons mm-hmm. why the English Office is, I think, seminal mm-hmm. is there's. I think there's only twelve episodes. Yeah. It's two seasons of six episodes. Mm-hmm. I think. And or Sherlock. Or... They're just. They don't run out they of stop. story. Yeah. Yeah. There's, they're they're contained. So I don't know where they're going. I think that I'm glad that this season they've certainly changed the dynamic a little bit, mm-hmm. and I hope that continues because it gives me more. Yeah, because I'm not, I'm just not repeating all, the same scene. You can always make again. you can always make fun of Silicon Valley and its arrogant, fatuous leaders yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, I think they want to do more than that. Did you learn more about tech since you've been doing it? Do you? Because I don't think it is about tech. Although they do nail, it's really quite amazing. The culture, the culture, certainly the culture. They do nail the culture really well, and certain characters are, or the woman who plays the, the venture capitalist. I know she's playing Marissa Mayer. Like she's got, she nails all kinds right. of things. And I know you're not supposed to link people to people, but it does. It does mm-hmm. actually. Like the guy who played Jack, the CEO, the other CEO. Steven Tobolsky. Yeah, and the, mm-hmm. the conjoined triangles of success. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard yeah. that. Like yeah. I was like, whoa, that's really amazing. But yeah. that's not why it's funny. I think it's because of the humanity of people struggling and failing almost continually. So the fact that I can't remember her name. She's emailed me. I've known her for two years. <laughs> that's okay. Kids don't smoke pot in eighth grade. <laughs> okay, all right. Seriously, Seriously don't do I'm it. I'm going to tell that to my son. <laughs> So what do you hope to do with it? You, so a couple seasons more, and then... My, my attitude is, as long as they invite me to the party, I will go to the party. Yeah. I'm really happy. I don't really audition as an actor. I don't really... I'm not really pursuing it actively. Right. Uh, it would be a case-by-case basis. I'm not, sure. I'm not against it. Right. If, if I'm... So let's if, turn before... I'm gonna, in the next section, I'm going to talk about where Hollywood's going. But mm. talk about your... The Camp to Fantastic... Oscar is a fantastic movie. I, I know what you're supposed to say about a movie called Fantastic, but <laughs> you can. I can. It was fantastic. There's two ways. You're setting yourself um, up for yes, the review. I get it. Captain Fantastic is it's not fantastic. fantastic. Captain Fantastic is fantastic. fantastic. Yes, yes. I was aware of that. Um, that's why you named it that way. Yeah. And you had to make it fantastic. 50-50. <laughs> 50-50. Either way. What were you trying to go for there? Because you did great mm. at Con. You did great with yeah. the Oscars. It got yeah. a lot of attention. Yeah, it was a great journey. Um we started at Sundance, and then we went to Cannes, and I actually won a directing award at Cannes. Which yes, you did. It was a big one. Don't be of my don't kids, be blew my mind. It was actually you won beautiful. the director award. Well, there's two. There's two competitions at Cannes. Mm-hmm. There's the uh, main competition, and there's Uncertain Regard, which I guess means another look in French, and, mm-hmm. and that's like the junior varsity of, the, mm-hmm. of Cannes. And we were in that competition, mm-hmm. and I did get a director uh, award there, mm-hmm. and that was in front of my kids, and that was really great. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it, on a personal level. It just meant it, that kind of approbation was just yeah. beautiful to me, uh, very meaningful. I know awards me, are meaningless. No, but it's that good. one. You actually know what? I got one. I got. I got an award once, and I thought I was. I of course had to report it out to find out if I won before mm-hmm. the award. And someone said I didn't get it, and then I was pissed off that yeah. I didn't get it. But then I got it, and then I was thrilled. Well, there's so many awards. There's so many award shows mm-hmm. in Hollywood. I mean, you're, you're mentioning that before, but yeah. like uh, starting in I guess oct- around October, November. Mm-hmm. There's the Golden Globes, there's SAG, sure. there's, the, you know, um, WGA has awards, the DGA has awards, the PGA has awards, the there's Oscars. BAFTA, there's all the Oscars, there's, yeah. you know. So you showed up in a lot of tuxedos. There's, yes, there's a lot of award shows. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a healthy, I don't want to say that you shouldn't, not disrespect, you don't want to be disrespectful, but I, I think that we, uh, it's nice to be invited to that party, but that's not the reason you do it. Sure. And, and it's a, it's. 
really it's among these candidates, uh, among this pool, people are deciding what gets what based on. I mean, I, I, I myself vote for some of the, and sometimes like, yeah, that person's won too many words. What about that? Oh, oh. Like that. You know, we, we, we all do that. You know, yeah. that's part of human nature. And, yeah. and, or I like this person. I really think it's their time. Is it an honor moment. just to be nominated? Uh, for me, for me, it was honestly. For me, it was. Now I might have I'd felt like someone to say, you know what? I wanted to fucking win. I, 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 I can say truthfully, honestly, at mm-hmm. this point in my life, I don't feel that way. Yeah, I don't understand people who want to win. I really don't yeah. because I feel like. You, if you're part of the conversation, mm-hmm. you won. It's but don't like, you want Warren Beatty to have read your name by accident? <laughs> <laughs> that would have been surprising because I wasn't nominated <laughs> for anything. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, but like, okay, I'll go up there. No, so I don't feel that way. I Now, again, I Vigo was nominated. I wasn't. Yeah. Maybe I would feel differently. I don't know. I'd have to be nominated. So what are you going for when you're making the movies? What are you? And in the next section, I do want to talk about where movies are what going. What am I going but, yes, for? Yes, what are you trying to do? Philosophically, or writing uh, from a writing perspective, because you really want to own I, the whole yeah, process. I, mean, I would say that the drug that I'm always looking for, the hit I want when I go to a movie, is I want to have a, a, an experience that's emotional. Mm-hmm. I want to be connected to these characters. I want to care. Uh, ideally, I would love to be so moved that I cry or or laugh in some way. I want to engage, right? And then I want to have an intellectual experience. I want to have that film cause me to reflect on my own life or life in general. Right. Uh, I mean, I showed Interstellar, mm-hmm. the Chris Nolan film, to my nine-year-old, and we turned it off, and he said, you know, that's the kind of movie that you need to sit for a moment and think about life and mm. think about And I thought, that's fantastic. That's exactly what I want. I mean, people say they want distraction, mm-hmm. and I get that. I mean, certainly you have a hard day at work. You work all day. You, you, get, you finally get your kids down. You want to zone Christmas out. Party. I get that, like and, to and see I think a there's Christmas a Christmas tree falling on Jennifer Aniston. There's head. a place for that. Yeah, I don't aspire to that myself. Mm-hmm. I think that you can have both in a film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't. I'm not saying it has to be homework where you feel like this is good for me. These are right. my vegetables. Right. I think it can also be entertaining, mm-hmm. uh, and my favorite films do both. So I think ideally, communion. Mm-hmm. Really, I mean, we're speaking very philosophically, but I think that's that's. Otherwise, why watch a movie? I mean, right. really, we live in a time where there's so many other ways to distract right. yourself if all you want is distraction. Right. Uh, and See, to me, that's coming more from television these days. And in a lot distraction? Of ways. Not distraction. Real move, move, being moved by things. I think you're right. Which but, is, that's, but that's because, I mean, there are very clear reasons why. As film has become, Hollywood, studio film, mm-hmm. have, has become a global marketplace, mm-hmm. and they're c- trying to create properties that fill uh, the theaters in China and Russia. That's that's created a certain kind of cultural export. That they, sure. Right. That so if you're if you're making something that's too nuanced or too specific culturally, or even intellectually, it doesn't export well. Right. right. So television doesn't have that same market constraints. I don't right. think so. That's why you're getting that. And, I, you know, I've been, as a writer-director, I've been meeting a lot of studios and, and um, both in television and film. And what I see largely is that in, the f- in, in film that there's a contraction about what's acceptable mm-hmm. uh, in, in terms of investment. And I see the opposite in television, that, that really they're looking for the most bold, not just in, in content, but also in form. form. I think Informant. that places like Netflix that don't have to deal with, the, don't, they don't have to be constrained by the half hour or one hour form. And so they say to you, it's okay if one episode comes in at 22 minutes and one episode comes in in an hour and 10. We'll make room for that. It doesn't matter. All right, we're going to talk about that when we get back with Matt Ross, who is the star of, one of the stars of Silicon Valley's. No, Silicon I'm the star of Silicon The star of Silicon Valley. <laughs> 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 One of the many stars of Silicon. He is the stars. He's my star of Silicon thank Valley. You, and we're going to talk about more where Hollywood's going. And we're just we're talking about Netflix and 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 becoming a creator these days mm. uh, from an entertainment perspective. This show is brought to you by Squarespace. Make your next move with a beautiful website from Squarespace. Their award-winning templates are the most beautiful way to present your ideas online. Create a beautiful website or online store with Squarespace's all in one platform. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever. They'll set you up with a unique domain, and they provide award-winning 24-7 customer support. Squarespace is used by a wide range of creatives, people, and businesses, musicians, designers, artists, restaurants, and more. So make your next move with Squarespace. Use the offer code RECODE for 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. 
That's offer code RECODE for a 10% off your first purchase at squarespace.com. This podcast is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. If you're hiring, do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? Posting your job in one place isn't enough to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your jobs on all the top job sites, and now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job on more than 100 job sites, including Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. Find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in. Find out about why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium-sized businesses. Right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com decode. That's ZipRecruiter.com decode. One more time, to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com decode. We're here with Matt Ross, the star of HBO's yes. hit series, Silicon Valley. That was for Richard Plepler. Oh, Plepler. We'll get into him later offline. So we were talking about being an actor and stuff like that, but one of the things you're doing is creation. You hmm. created a, another hit film, Captain Fantastic, got a lot of awards. You start talking about the idea of creating now as a creator, because I think that's where a lot of the power is. Mm-hmm. Where do you think Hollywood is in that juncture? You were talking about Netflix having more freedom. Mm. Where, what has what the internet and technology done to that? created all sorts of new distribution models. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, my children, my daughter's 14, my son is nine. I can get my son to go to the movies. Mm-hmm. My daughter is not so interested. Yeah, same. Really? My 14 will not go to movies. So, she, I mean, I got him to go to Logan. I got him to go to Logan. Yeah, okay. So she wants to see Beauty and the Beast. She would be like, and, but there was an opportunity the other day, and she's like, nah, I don't care. Um, whereas my son, I think, still likes that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also into video games. She just doesn't turn to storytelling, I think. I don't think she's attracted to the visual medium. I don't know. Or she's perfectly happy to watch it on yep. her computer or Absolutely. iPad in her bed. Phone. I, yeah, phone, yeah. So I think there's the, the, the distribution model is obviously changing radically. Um, it's essentially uh, opportunities, I think, for storytellers. I think that I'm – sometimes I think I'm like – a novelist in the 20s. I'm holding on to this antiquated mm-hmm. uh, medium. I don't know that because I'm somewhat attached to the two-hour movie. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm young enough that I don't think I, I don't I don't fetishize the theatrical experience. I like being in a. I like having a great big screen. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's better. But everyone has so many people have home theaters that you can get a decent experience sure. from a big screen and good speakers. Uh, and that technology is changing rapidly too, into 4K and all this stuff that's coming into our homes. Uh, but I think for storytellers, it's just opportunity. You, if, you, if you let go of that antiquated theatrical model, if that's what you're attached to, uh, it's for a storyteller. It's you just have to be okay that you may not have the same model. Uh, meaning that, let's look at something like Stranger Things. Right. right. I didn't read any. That was a phenomenon. Mm-hmm. I didn't read any critical analysis. The discussion I was having with it about it were with people, whereas if that had been a film, there would be you'd see advertising a lot sure. of advertising. Yeah, yeah. You'd mm-hmm. certainly there'd be reviews that would come out beforehand. You'd you have just kind of watched it. You yeah. just watched it, and right. and and it sometimes I, I mean it works for those very few, but there are all also I can turn on Netflix and there's some films that just were at Sundance, and if I didn't know to put in the search right. that the title, I wouldn't necessarily find it. Now, right. if it happens to be on the splash page, you might see it. So I think- So uh, here's Matt, the creator, going around to Hollywood. You're, you're working on more films, correct? Yeah, I am. How many, and I'm, where? I'm, I'm developing something with a studio. I'm writing three films of my own. Mm-hmm. I'm In the background, I'm also working on a couple TV ideas, meaning that I'm, I'm not being paid to do that. I just have, I'm trying to, I'm interested in television as long as I can try and keep it a kind of cinematic experience. Mm-hmm. And there are there are many shows that do that. But television, I, I mean, I, I've, I've said this before, I think it has sort of a voracious appetite for plot. Mm-hmm. It's very dialogue based. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's not, it's not, cinema can traffic in tone or mood and some of my favorite films if you actually analyze what happens narratively very little happens narratively okay. i mean take alien mm-hmm. i mean that's basically a monster movie on, yeah. on but really what happens is they find this alien and they have to survive that's yeah. the whole plot yeah that is the whole plot there's um, a new one you know okay. yes there's many new ones yeah. but but um, but there's a new one coming up um uh, but my point is that it's it's you couldn't do that 
and translate that directly to television mm-hmm. because it, it you, you you know you need people to come in week after week and be compelled in some way, right? And that tends to happen with a lot of except plot. there isn't week after week anymore. No, now, there, there is with HBO, no. but yeah. I mean, would you like Silicon Valley to be uh, binge watched? That's an excellent question. I just went through this watching Big Little Lies, mm-hmm. uh, which I really Reese liked. Witherspoon thing. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it's fantastic, but. I was somewhat irritated that I had to wait because I, I realized that it's the only place that I watch TV, meaning HBO, where I I'm I have to wait. I have to mm-hmm. wait week after week. Whereas yeah. everywhere else, if I either there for my um, consuming, I don't know. I mean, on one hand, it extends that that consuming process mm-hmm. and allows for maybe more conversation. Uh, I think that the danger of being able to binge watch is that you you binge it over a weekend, which I really I've only done once maybe, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and then you forget about it and you move right. on and then it's not it doesn't gestate with you. More like when you're reading a novel, you m- many of us read before we go to bed. So you read a over chapter a course, or two yeah. and and you and that that stays with you for weeks on end. There's something really lovely about how how mm-hmm. long that lasts. So Although I think we're getting shifting in our way we think of things. I, I just saw A Handmaid's Tale. Which, uh, can't wait to coming? see that. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, I, I saw the first three episodes that yeah. they sent. And I'm mad that I have to, now I'm like, I want, the, I want it now. I want all of it now. Yeah. Which is, it, I don't know what's happened to my watching habit. But that's, that. yeah, your watching habit is like, every, like everything in our, else in our lives, we're used to getting things immediately now. Mm-hmm. You call your loved one or you text them and yeah. God forbid they don't answer immediately, <laughs> right? Right. We're all Where so are you? Impa- exactly. What's wrong? Oh my God. Death. You know, immediately. It's like, it's, it's, it's insanity. And but would so. you like H- the Silicon Valley to be, do you like the week to week thing? Partially, I do like it. Partially, I do like it because it gives you something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. And and as I said before, it keeps it in your life for a little bit longer. I think I like that. I'm, I have no problem with that, ultimately. Right. But I really don't. kids don't. They watch them all at once. It's re- They do watch them yeah, all they at once. Yeah, they do. So, do. so here's Matt Ross going around as a creator. Do you go to Amazon? Do you go? I, we're having Jill Soloway at our mm-hmm. uh, code conference coming up, and she has a new show. She, she really did do the breakthrough with yeah. them. She was Transparent? Uh, transparent and no, uh, House of Cards. Right, right. No, My no, name that, is Dick is her yeah, name. Uh, I love Dick. Based on a novel. That's right, yeah. Which she likes to say over and over again. Yes. Um, So uh, (laughs) she was a pioneer in doing that Mm -hmm. and and was a success. Mm -hmm. Same thing with the House of Cards people. Mm -hmm. What is it like for you? Do you go to Amazon? Do you go to Netflix? Or do you. I have been to Netflix. I haven't been to the studio system. No, you go everywhere. But what's it like as a creator in this system now? Every place has their own prerogative. Okay. Explain the differences. Well, I think, you know, some of them are owned by other corporations that have other. uh, I mean, Amazon, it seems to me. Obviously, it's a it's a huge corporation. They have a lot of money, and it seems to me that their math is simply they're creating content so that you might buy other things on their yeah, site. Yeah, no, right? I was talking to Jill. And she's like, "I'm selling paper towels, yeah, right? Should I get right. a section of that paper towel yeah, sales?" I'm yeah. like, "You're never getting it." But sure, yeah, yeah. So uh, that's unique. Mm-hmm. I think I'm pretty sure that's you know, uh, there's no other company, Netflix included, that has that same business. Right, something model, else right? to yeah. sell. Uh, I I think it's. What does it mean? I don't know. It's thank God that it exists because what do you I think, think of their and they're different than the studios. Are they are they the same? They've been hiring studio type people yes, lately, they have, like Ted Hope and yeah. Uh, I think they and I think Roy Price is Roy Price uh, yeah. is it? I mean, I think you know. There's I I have not met I, I either of them. I met Ted Hope once, but um, I I think they are all really wise. Uh, men and there may be some women there. there I, are. I haven't met them. Netflix, uh, um, Netflix are yeah, and um. I don't think anyone has the answer. I don't think anyone right. knows where it's going. Yeah. I, what, what worries me, I think, is that it's the Wild West. And if that, you could make the argument that some of these companies are overpaying mm-hmm. uh, uh, to attract certain talent. If that disappears, then where do those people go and how do they, what do they make? Right. That's the scary part, I mm-hmm. think. Uh, I think it will, it's... Um, I mean, I don't know if they're. I don't know what kind of money they're making. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's actually a business model that's supported within itself and its mm-hmm. own ecosystem, or if it's supported by the larger model. Right? right. Um, it the, they're not now trying to compete with the studios, but they probably will. Oh, sure. they are. Amazon is absolutely trying to. They're Amazon. Yeah, so is Netflix. So they're is. just starting to. No, I'm, I'm saying in terms in terms of film. I mean, oh, film. No, yes, no, not, not, not film. yet. But they not may. Yet. They will. Right. It's they all will. television. It's all to be consumed online. Yes. In yeah. an online or an internet-enabled television kind of thing. So does that change you as a creator when you're thinking about that? 
as much as you like the movies. It's just people are trying to make movies more interesting, like the Alamo Draft House here. Uh-huh. It's everywhere. Or I think or, it's I think it's going to become. No one knows, but I think it's going to simply be form follows function. Mm-hmm. So it used to be that you would make a film and there was one model, right? right? Out it to would, the theaters it, Out to the not. theaters or it used to be um, direct to DVD, right? Mm-hmm. And then there was a business model created by the foreign pre-sales mm-hmm. uh, of the DVDs themselves or the they knew that with certain elements, certain actors attached, they could sell those DVDs and make their money back. Sure. Now you really have to think, is this a theatrical film? I mean, that's the question, you know, is this, because there are so many films that, that really deserve or should be, not deserve, should be uh, a direct to streaming film, right? It should, or this is a film that, that, this is a model that makes sense at a place like HBO. So I think what's, what's the challenge is for whether you're working in television or film, I'm speaking specifically of film though, is what, what is the model? Because, and that will determine where you go, uh, I think that's great because, you know, take someone like Cassavetes, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, there are probably some people that we can reference who are sort of modern Cassavetes or, or aspire to similar type mm-hmm. film. That's largely not popular in any way, mm-hmm. right? So no. where where would that person... Well, except he can now find his audience. You can make the argument that he can better... But it's not... You can't monetize that. Right. I mean, yes, you could... Well, you you could you, the only way you could monetize it the the best way you could monetize that is if Cassavetes does a long form television show right. and in fact I think that's what's happening referencing what you said before is that I think when you were saying that you're finding like the promise of mm-hmm. 70s cinemas on television it is because t- television's also making things for adults for grown ups right. I don't right. mean adult films I'm not talking about pornography but I'm talking about complicated narratives mm-hmm. with uh, nuanced characters mm-hmm. that aren't one dimensional. Uh, Jill Soloway's Transparent is a perfect example. That uh, Transparent as a two-hour film may have a very limited audience in today's theatrical environment. When you go to the mall, people just... And I I think that that film coming out in 1976 would have a completely different audience than Mm -hmm. it does today. Right. So I think you... You know, she was fortunate or she created that opportunity I don't know mm-hmm. um, to have that show be on Amazon and it found a, a huge no one audience. else wanted it yeah, yeah, no one else Amazon was willing to do it yeah. kind of thing and then she it ends up putting them on the map and then they attract so, more so attention. they have the problem of all these companies these TV companies have the problem of having people on the couch mm-hmm. but how do you get them to watch your show right and I don't know that anyone really has an answer for that uh, you know scope pre-existing properties something like Game of Thrones mm-hmm. Those are those are block. That's blockbuster television, right? right I mean, right. that's as. So when you think about creating, do you think about the meme? You think I'm going to make this? Do you imagine creating for the phone? Do I you, don't. You don't. I don't. You just don't want to make. I wouldn't really. It depends on the film. It really depends on the film. Some of these things can be faddish or a mm-hmm. fad. Like right. there's a new thing. Like I know that like a lot of uh, telecom companies were making short stuff yeah. for the, their you yeah. know for their yeah. phones, and sure. there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, mm-hmm. I I think that. I don't want to watch Blade Runner or Lawrence of Arabia on my phone mm-hmm. just because I think the filmmaker conceived of a much larger... Tableau. Know, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so why reduce it? But certainly a lot of television, which is talking heads, mm-hmm. many TV shows are just talking heads. You can watch it on mm-hmm. your phone. Why not? There's, mm-hmm. there's nothing in the background. There's nothing they're doing with the language of cinema that can't be seen on a but phone. But does that have to shift? Because, again, my fortune watches everything on his phone. He does. He, I, I just He plays games on the big screen, which is interesting. Hmm. Which is also storytelling in a way. I don't know that the theatrical experience will ever disappear. I don't know that it's really in the danger of danger of going in the direction of like the opera or the mm-hmm. ballet. If you go to the opera or the ballet, you look around. Everyone is white, mm-hmm. largely, mm-hmm. and they're Older. wealthy, and they're sixty plus, mm-hmm. right? I don't. I don't know that the theatrical experience will will go that way entirely. I don't think we're going to be watching VR necessarily in a movie theater. Are you going to do any VR? Maybe. I just interviewed John Favreau. He loves it. Yeah, I, I don't... I'm. What would you do in VR? I don't know that it's storytelling the way I think it's storytelling. I think that the most obvious application, and I'm sure they're all going this direction, is gaming. Mm-hmm. Because the game world is not narrative in the same way. There yeah, are certain, action. Yeah, it's action and it's it's immersive and there are certain guideposts, like you get to here and then they show you a little clip and it just changes the narrative and then you have to, but essentially there are many video games, you're simply accomplishing something, right? Mm-hmm. You're getting to one place or another. Storytelling is, 
uh, the way I, I think of cinema as a film or TV narrative storytelling is a little more complex. And essentially, I mean, fundamentally, film or TV, there's it's not choose your own adventure, mm-hmm. right? I'm making, we're going to tell you. I'm, I'm making decisions. Hopefully, mm-hmm. I've thought them out well so that you are having – it's, an, it's a, uh, an emotional and intellectual manipulation. Mm-hmm. And – you can, there can be some, a degree of ambiguity, but you, I'm, I'm hoping to elicit certain responses. I think the same thing can apply to VR, but it's mm-hmm. going to be utterly different. Could it's you not, see, um, I see your point. You're making the choices rather than the audience. Yes, exactly. The and then it really in VR, you're, I can go over there and, and interact with this monster or I can go away from it or whatever it is. Or could it immerse you? I was just, oddly enough, I was somewhere where Viola Davis was with her husband and they're making I went to school with her. amazing mm-hmm. actress. She, she, can, she can go from like total purple. Yeah. Pros to like great stuff. Yeah, it's an she's extraordinary. Yeah. I, of course, I went up to her. I said, you know, I loved, and she goes, I know fences. I'm like, no, no, no. How you delivered that line, that horrible line on how to get away with murder. I was like, you just committed yourself to the worst line in history and mm-hmm. killed it. Yeah. But she and her husband were working on a, a VR version of Othello for oh, wow. students to feel immersed in it. They wow. felt that that's how people can mm. access Shakespeare. Getting back to Shakespeare, um, wow. that you, if you had an immersive version, kids would understand it better. Um, so they're working. I think on that's that. a great. That's a great tool. In the, you yeah, know what I mean? Like a, you could think of that, like that you do feel part of it and part of the action in real life, rather than just yeah, words on a page yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. I'm going to finish up by. Um, so you, you're not making uh, YouTube videos, then, Matt? Right? I'm not. No, <laughs> I do make short films for fun. Yeah. yeah. And where do they go? Nowhere. Nowhere. No. Just I mean, sometimes I show them to people, but okay, I, right. I don't. I'm not on social media. I don't have a website or anything. Do you, you don't. I'm you don't a, tweet. You don't. That's what I want to ask. I don't. What, are, are you technical? Here you are running a big company like Huli. What? Y- yes, I am relatively. Speaking for a lay person who doesn't mm-hmm. work in tech. I mean, I I um, I can use editing software. I've been playing around with After Effects. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can certainly play. I'm no expert. I like it a lot. I wish I'd spent more time. But I don't. Social media. I just haven't engaged in mainly because I fundamentally, and I th- I think it's just because I didn't grow up with it. So mm-hmm. I, w- I would have embraced it at old, older than obviously someone who's ten or fifteen or whatever. I think that I want to. I really struggle to be present. Mm-hmm. And my phone and my computer and the internet in general is enough distraction. Mm-hmm. And I I even don't take pictures of my kids a lot of the time when they're doing things. Mm-hmm. I try and just live in the experience sure. and be in the experience. And I think that so much of social media that's effective is about communication. It's and, and so much of that I, that I don't like is about performance. And mm-hmm. I'm just, I don't know. I'm really not judging it. I, right. You know, it's fine. You just don't do it. I just don't do it. It's so important. would and you I call yourself a tech? What, what else do you use? Do you use an Amazon device at home, an Echo or anything like we that? Ha- we have a, um, an Alexa. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I you know, our, we have a, a Nest and I mean, I'm connected in some ways, mm-hmm. but. So which, they're watching you, man. Yeah, I know they are. I turn them off all the time. I'm, I'm paranoid. So you um, say. Yeah. I unplug them. Uh, it doesn't work either. Um, I yeah. I mean, I, I use a degree, but not. I mean, from a consumer level. But not. Yeah. You wouldn't call yourself. What would you? I, I guess I would. Be, I would ask you. How do you define that? Well, what? I'm pretty immersed in technology. I would say. But what does that mean? It's everywhere all the time. I'm always connected. But you you mentioned some consumer products. Oh, like oh, I have them all. I okay. use them all. I got like what? Apple, Apple. I got them all. Every one of them. Like an Apple Watch. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I would say that I'm. Uh, I watch keynote speeches. I used mm-hmm. to all the time, especially yeah. with Steve Jobs. I I care about that. Mm-hmm. I'm my friends and I uh, text each other or um, email each other back and forth about all the stuff that's coming out, mm-hmm. and I'm into it from mm-hmm. a consumer point of view. But you're not um, Gavin Belt. No, I no. The, the, I play. Um, uh, I'm play not a doctor. I play one on TV. <laughs> the great tragedy of my life actually is that I. Uh, I'm not a tech billionaire, yeah, but I, know. I only so, play one. And last question, what would you do if you were a tech billionaire right now? <laughs> I'm interested in, um, I guess, is it biomed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's some, I think I would invest a lot in that. In healthcare? Know? Yeah. yeah there's I think some that, cool I, stuff coming out. I think that's the... They're going to replace your liver with like something. They're I'm gonna fascinated print, by they're that. They're going to 3D print your liver Yeah, someday. that would be extraordinary. Life extension yes. is a big thing. Yeah. That's something that Gavin should get into. In I think so too. Season. I think so life extension. I can't so. believe you guys haven't done more life And then I just wouldn't stress about money ever. Right. Can I have that, please? Yes, when you does can that have happen? that. <laughs> Never. Not for you. <laughs> when does that not happen? Not for you. You did Shakespeare. Big yeah, mistake. Yeah. You should have done software, not Shakespeare. 
Anyway, thank you so much, Matt. This has been a delight. You're one of my favorite people. And uh, the show is premiering when? April? I don't know the exact date. I should, but it's in April. Super soon, yeah. Yeah. And I'll be appearing with some of the cast members at an event in San Francisco to see the first episode. I'm excited to see where you're going. Tell us where you left off so everybody knows what happened in the end of last season. Luke was just given the lightsaber. No, no. And (laughs) and his hand was cut off and he was holding from the Death Star. No. You're asking me to remember what happened last season? Yes. I can't do that. What is, where is Gavin at the beginning I have of the no season? Idea. Troubled. I, I can't remember. Troubled as usual. I told you, I smoked a great deal of marijuana. All right, okay. On that grade. note, on that I'm not druggy. joking when I say I don't remember. This is the problem. We consume boy. way too much narratives. All right, okay. Way, far All right. too many. All right, Matt, it was great Something talking awesome to Something awesome is about to happen, happen on exactly. Silicon Exactly. This lightsaber, the hand cut off. Luke, I am your father. Um, if you enjoyed this interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews I've done with the cast of Veep, comedian James Corden, and my All Things D and Recode co-founder Walt Mossberg, who announced his retirement, just to name a few. All those interviews and more are at recode.net slash decode. Now that you're done with this, check out one of our other shows on Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You'll hear no BS interviews with some of the smartest people in media and entertainment. I also host Too Embarrassed to Ask, along with Lauren Good of The Verge, where we answer all of your tech questions about consumer goods. And on Recode Replayed, you can find audio from all of our Recode Live events, including the Code Conference, which is coming up soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks also to Digital Media, the company that distributes this show, including Beth O'Connell and our editor, Chris Basil. And thanks to our producer, Eric Johnson. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. I'll be back on Wednesday talking to the cast and creators of Silicon Valley. So tune in then.